Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Somebody can try to give them a gospel track. They say, I'm good. According to the Bible, it says, there's none that doeth good. Your standard is one. God's standard is another. Then the Bible says in verse number two, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. So verse 1, we see what the fool says. We see what the fool's works are. And verse 2 seems to say that God is looking down to see something. Now that's very, very interesting. Because why would God have to look down from heaven to see something if he already knew what he would see? There wouldn't be any reason for God to do that. So God is in heaven. He's looking down and seeing, and it's confirmed now because it says in verse number three, yep, (laughs) they are all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, I don't have all the information to be able to exhaust all the verses in the Bible, nor do I on verse number two, but it's almost like God because he's so merciful, because he's so compassionate, because he's so loving, wants to look down and see, are these people really that bad? And they are. And we are. We are. And have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? Apparently so. They... They were they, there were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. You've shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. The Lord bringeth back captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. God looks down. Are you guys any good? Nope. (laughs) Nobody is. Nobody is. Job chapter number 40. Go back a book of the Bible, and we'll come to Job chapter number 40. This is another very interesting verse in the scriptures. Verse number one, moreover, in Job chapter 40, the Lord answered Job, and here's the answer. And said, verse two, shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. You want to debate with me? (laughs) That's, That's God. I don't think so. Nobody does. Watch what Job says. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. That's a pretty good answer to send back to God. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Job knew that he talked too much. 
you and I can glean some insight from that and know, like our parents have taught us when we were knee high, we need to know when the zip of the lip. <laughs> just, we said, we stop. We got to stop the mouth. And the whole world is guilty before God, but we need to know. Job knew, okay, Lord, I am vile. Lord, I spoke too much. Now I'm just going to. Nothing. It's time for me to hear from you, Lord. And don't we get there so many times? We got the thoughts are going. The actions are going. The words are going. Why this, Lord? Why that, Lord? And there comes a point where we just need to just quit. And then just look to God. God, what do you have to say? We all can relate to those types of situations. Uh, and we see what he says. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Now it, get, now it gets interesting because God's not through yet. And he says in verse number six, then I asked the Lord of the Job out of the whirlwind and said, it's as if Job says, I'm vile. Job says, I'm done talking, Lord. I get it. And it's like God says, yeah, but I'm not done because I don't think you get it. <laughs> Pride is elevated so high that humility always kind of, it seems like humility always has to be taught. Pride, if you, if you could say anything is the root sin, it's pride. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. That's pretty bad. I believe, I really do believe humility is what we all need more of. I need it. I believe we all need it. And God keeps this going with Job because I think by, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. So I believe God keeps this thing going with Job because humility needs to be continually taught and learned. So he says, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God? Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Okay, uh, he said, Lord, I'm vile. Lord, I'm just, I'm done. I'm, I'm not talking anymore. And God he, God hits them with, with, with these questions that you would almost get, you would almost get the read from this that God is being too hard on them. But I don't believe he is. I believe he's trying to teach him something. Anybody have an arm like God? Can anybody thunder with a voice like him? Remember who I am, Job. And I think we all need to remember who God is. We can do all the Bible study. We can do all the all the outreach. We can do all the track passing. We can all the, do all the door knocking. We can all do all the Christian fellowship. We can do all the singing. We can do all the praying. We can do all that. We can do all that action, all that activity. And in our own flesh, we can do it without God. We got to remember our voice isn't going to thunder like the Lord. We, 
We are saved by grace. We're not under condemnation. And there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Let's not forget, though, that we were vile. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's going to keep us humble. One thing that will wear out a Christian that wants to live for God is this. You talk to enough lost people, they will wear you out. And you can end up old and bitter against people because people hate God. And God said, you go out and tell them about me. Yeah, but God, they're just so wicked. Yeah, but God, they do all these things. Yeah, but God, they're just, they don't listen. Yeah, but God, it just turned. Okay, stop your mouth, God says. And remember, you were vile. And you can't thunder like I can. So you just keep doing what I told you to do. With a good spirit about it. But here's. We all know we can't be saved by works. But if you wanted to be saved by works. God gives you one allowance in the Bible and it's right here. So if somebody thinks they could be saved by works, say, okay, great. Let's, let's, let's have you give your hand at it. Here's what God says. This is, this is, this is pretty, pretty good. Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency and array, array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath and behold everyone that is proud and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. So we need to do all of those things, which look how many times pride shows up, which is, I think, goes along with that theme of God staying on this questioning with Job because he's trying to teach him humility. We see pride show up twice there. So, okay, Job, you do all that. We're lost person. You do all that. Now look at verse 14. Then will I confess also, then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. See if you can get any lost person to do that. <laughs> we'll give you a head start. Go ahead. <laughs> and they'll probably find out within a few minutes if they really try, oh, God, I need your help. Because not a one of us is going to be able to save ourselves. Because not a one of us can do any of these things that God says, okay, I'll give you a shot. I'll give you a shot. Does God know that everyone needs salvation? He sure does. But it seems like in Psalm 14, there were some things that he didn't think were that bad. I don't know, but he has to look down to see, and it just confirms in his mind, oh yeah, they're just as bad and just as wicked and just as abominable. And we need to be just as zealous to go out and try to reach that lost and dying world because God told us to do it. And rather than get bitter at people, because they're just rude and mean. That's why would we expect lost people to act any other way? Expect them to be snarky to you. Okay. And then we won't be as disappointed. 
Okay, Hosea. Hosea. Keep turning forward in your Bible. You'll come to Ezekiel. Then you'll come to Daniel. And then I believe you'll come to the book of Hosea. Yep, Hosea. And then we'll come to the seventh chapter. The seventh chapter. Hosea chapter number seven says in verse number one. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered. Why would God have to discover something? If he already knew everything, why would God have to discover anything? When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria. For they commit falsehood and the thief cometh in and the troop of robbers spoil it without. Okay, you're mingling in heathen ways. You're involved in wicked, idolatrous practices that the heathen do. You're my people, and you're involved in that type of idolatry. I gotta see, I gotta I gotta discover to see if it's that bad. And you know what God does? He discovers that it's that bad. God is gracious. God loves his chosen people. The context of the passage. He loves all of his creation. He loves the nation. He's gracious to the nation. He's long-suffering to us. And This is how people treat God. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And God discovers that, yep, the wickedness is that bad. I'm sure it breaks the Lord's heart because he loves who he has created. But it's almost this thing where, okay, yes, all of sin. Yes, Jesus Christ came to pay for the sin debt. But here, back at some of these passages, like God is looking down to get some confirmation. Are they really that bad? And he looks and he discovers and he gets, gathers more information. Yep, they're that bad. What do all teachers do? All teachers give tests. They give tests. What is the test designed for? The test isn't designed for students to learn. That's what the classroom is for. When the teacher gives uh, you young you young kids, when, when, when the teacher gives you a test, it's for the teacher to discover. It's for the teacher to see if you've learned anything or what you've learned. And that's what the test is designed for. And when you are done that test, that test gives the teacher knowledge about you and what you know or what you don't know. And that knowledge is something that the teacher didn't have before the test. Which is why they give you the test. All your pluses, all your minuses, all your times tables, all your math minutes and all that. Because your teacher don't know what you know, 
but she's going to find out. And that's what the test is designed to do. Who's the master teacher? That would be Jesus Christ. Nicodemus knew this. He said, thou art a teacher come from God. Now, he just knew Jesus as a teacher, which is good. We know he's a teacher. Nicodemus didn't get the spiritual, but he ended up getting it. But go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's get Deuteronomy chapter number 8. We'll expand this thought. 1 Thessalonians 2 and Deuteronomy chapter number 8. First Thessalonians chapter number two. We'll get the fourth verse. First Thessalonians chapter number two, uh, the fourth verse. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Do you know what trieth means? To prove by test, to prove by experiment, to act upon as a test. God trieth our hearts. That's what 1 Thessalonians 2, verse number 4, brings forth. God trieth our hearts. Now, get our Deuteronomy passage. Deuteronomy chapter number 8. Deuteronomy chapter number 8. Look at verse, okay, all the commandments, verse number one, Deuteronomy 8. All the commandments which I command thee this day ye shall observe to do, that ye may live. Old Testament, they obeyed God's commands. They lived physically. They were blessed with good health. They didn't get sick. A lot of sickness in the Old Testament was related to sin. Um, now, that's not... The case today, there's many, many good Christian people that are saved by the grace of God that still get sick. Um, so we got a, we got a difference there, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. They possess, now, land is, is it's dirt, it's real estate, it's a physical piece of land. When they obeyed what God told them to do, they got good crop. When they didn't obey what God told them to do, they didn't get good crop. When you obey God and I obey God, you know what we don't get? A million dollar piece of real estate. The crop that we get is a spiritual crop brings forth. We are New Testament Christians. We're not the nation of Israel. And when we make that distinction, these things fit together much better in the Bible. God didn't promise us land. We're not going to bring forth an agricultural crop. You know how many Christian farmers there are that when the drought comes, it's not to blame God. But if you and I obey God, we are going to bring forth a crop of spiritual nature. The fruit of the spirit is put on, put off. Okay, we'll get a spiritual blessing. Now, uh, verse number two is what we wanted to look at. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee.
these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, there it is again, and to prove thee, there's a proving ground there. Now watch this next phrase. To know what was in thine heart. Why would there be a proving? Why would there be a trying? Why would be there a testing if God already knew it? It would not make sense. To know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. God didn't know if they would keep his commandments. So he said, I'm going to find out. And here's how I'm going to find out. There's going to be a proving ground. And that test reveals, okay, now I know something. Now I know some more information about my people. So we need to be careful that we don't have a system of theology. We want to be careful that we study the Bible to show thyself approved unto God rather than unto men. And too many times in Christendom, we get, we get caught in a system of theology and we have to make everything fit with that system. And a lot of this is just Calvinism light. People will just, you know, they won't say they're Calvinists. They'll just use terms like, well, God knows everything, except we look at passages and it shows us, well, God really doesn't know everything. And it doesn't diminish who he is. It actually magnifies an all-powerful God that's able to limit his knowledge and he allows his people to go through trying, and he allows his people to go through testing. And we see that here in this passage. I believe we can see it pretty clear. Now, this doesn't happen to me much anymore because I'm, I'm married, and my wife is just so great at, at, at this kind of thing. But I remember not being married, and I'd clean out the fridge, and when I'd look in the back of the fridge, I'd find you know not one little can of black olives that had been sitting there for three, four months, but I typically find two or three little cans all the way in the back. Oh, I didn't know they were there. I never even thought to look there. That's why the second one ended up. And that's why the third one ended up. And you rummage through and it never even occurred to me to look until somebody gets in there, clears the stuff out. Oh, they're right there. They were there the whole time. I just didn't have the knowledge of it and I wasn't looking. For that. If you don't know to look, you essentially don't believe that it's even there. Yet it is. Lost people don't even know to look. You've got to clear out a lot of stuff in the fridge. A lot. And ladies, just like when, when, when you get married, he puts his best foot forward. And before you get married, you would think that he had all this stuff figured out. And then you get married and you realize you don't know how to clean. You don't know how to keep yourself organized. Oh, in our mind, we're organized. But in reality, it's just an excuse to justify our disorganization. So you got to clean the clutter. You got to do this. And you got to do that. And you got to. I'm telling you, that's the same thing that we've got to do with lost people. You have got to be able to clear out all that clutter for them to even consider that the sin is back there and needs to be dealt with. 
And it's not one little itty-bitty thing you can take a little magic eraser and get rid of. You're going to need the power of God to get rid of all that junk back there. But we have got to be patient and be able to clear that clutter apart and not get frustrated and throw the, you know, throw all the stuff at the at the person. The world needs a constant reminder. Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Verse number 12, Genesis 22, verse number 12. Oh, okay. Verse number one. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. God is going to tempt Abraham as a test. He's the master teacher and he's putting forth this test for Abraham. He's going to gather some knowledge about Abraham. Um. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son, and laved the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder. See, that's a, not a southern word. That's a Bible word. <laughs> you go yonder. And worship, and come again to you. Verse number six. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son, and took the fire in his hand, and a knife. And they went both of them together. Do you see how much Abraham is following the Lord and obeying what the Lord told him to do. That's pretty good. There's a lot of little details in there. And we tend to, when we live our lives, if you're like me, we tend to just forget about the details. Just give me to the bottom line. I guess there's a time for that. But there's a lot of details leading up to where Abraham's going to be in a minute here. We've got to pay attention to the details. That's where a lot of this truth starts to kind of make sense uh where are we at verse number seven and isaac spake unto abraham his father and he said my father and he said here am i my son and he said behold the fire in the woods but where is the lamb for a burnt offering uh-oh You think Isaac should have been afraid? Not after we read verse 8. Because watch verse 8. It's a beautiful verse. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. And you know what he's provided? Himself, a lamb, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's why Isaac just walked right up there with his father, because his father said, God will provide himself. And he did. And he did. 
And they came to the place, verse 9, which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of details. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Isaac asks. Abraham answers. They walk up. They make the wood. The knife is up. We don't hear anything about Isaac flipping out, pitching a fit. We don't hear anything about it. His daddy told him God will provide himself. And now watch. Remember verse number one, God did tempt Abraham. This is a tempting. This is a test that God is giving Abraham. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. For now I know. It, it would be really weird if God already knew the outcome. But he said, I'm going to, there's going to be a tempt, there's going to be a test, there's going to be a trial of Abraham. And when it's all done, God says, the word comes back, for now I know. Now I know. He didn't say, well, I already knew this. I'm just doing this so that I can just say I knew everything. No, God didn't know. He tempts, he tries, he tests. And now he says, now, now I, know, I know, I know. I know that I know that I know. Go to James chapter number one. This is important to, to talk about. Uh, James chapter number one, God, the way that he governs, the way that he'll, Abraham gets a tempt, Abraham gets a test, Abraham gets a it's a trying we get tryings but god governs the way that he tests righteously and in perfect harmony with his character and in james chapter number one we see this very familiar passage of scripture let no man say when he is tempted i am tempted of god for god cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. God's not evil surmising. He doesn't have a mouth that's full of guile. It's quite the opposite. He's not trying to tempt for evil or tempt for sin. Mankind is perfectly fine doing that himself. God looks down and it confirms what's going on. But God is not the author of confusion. Sin is confusion. He is not the author, author of evil. He's completely holy and righteous. And he wants what's best for his people. But nonetheless, he does, he does test. There is, there is trying. There is trying. Oh, taste and see 
that the Lord is good. You go to one of the shopping ones. At least I like to go there because they, you know, they'll put out the free food samples. Oh, you can try a little bit of this, try a little bit of that. It's a taste test. It's a food test. Then you can buy the little meal for $9 and just pop it in. And it's, and it's done. It's a testing. They're putting that out so you can have your taste buds test. See if you like that. You gather some information and then you make a decision. It's a testing. It's a trying. God, if you're saved, and I hope you, I trust that you are. God expects some things from his people. He's not going to force you or I to do anything because he's a perfect gentleman. He's not going to force his will upon you. But he does expect some things from you and I. So when you read it in the Bible, we can either thumb our nose at God. Or we can say, God, I see what you're saying. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, and we're going to try the best we can get our life in line with what the Lord expects from us. Uh, last thought I have for you tonight is God repents. Go to Genesis chapter number six. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that his every imagination of the faults of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. God looks down and sees so much wickedness, and he repents that I even made, I even made you, he says. That's powerful. That's powerful. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and of the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we all know what happened. Those that know a preacher of righteousness. You would think it would be like Yankee Stadium being filled because some famous preacher's preaching there. And then, of course, they have Roman Catholic counselors afterwards, but we won't talk about that. You would think the ark would be like Yankee Stadium being filled with people because God's about to bring down the boom. <laughs> but it's not so. That man's crazy. Why is he standing out there preaching like he's preaching? And it's all warning, yet nobody heeds the warning. Well, you know, 2,000 hits, everybody heeds the warning and does all this stuff. But when God speaks, it's, ah, who cares? <laughs> What's this? Who cares about God? No. God repented that he even made them. Why in the world would God do something that he knew he would regret? I don't believe he knew he would regret it. I really think he's looking down and saying, wow, 
it repents me that I even made these people because they're so wicked. You look out in that world, and yeah, we can all say all have sinned, right? And then you get on the news feed and you say to yourself, it's really this bad? Now, is that what God did here? Seems to me, it repented me that I have made them. Doesn't seem to me that he knew. It seemed to me that I saw that the wickedness of man was great. I saw it. And it repented God, the Lord that he made man. Let's go over to Je uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 15. Jeremiah 15. To the book of Isaiah. And you'll come to the book of Jeremiah next. We'll get the 15th chapter. 15th chapter. Jeremiah chapter 15. You want to see the love of God. Then said the Lord unto me through Moses and Samuel stood before me yet. Uh, verse number one. Yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. And it shall come to pass if they say unto thee, whither shall we go? Uh, whither shall we go forth? Then thou shalt tell them, thus saith the Lord, such as are for death to that to death. And such as are for the sword to the sword. And such as are for the famine to the famine, and such as are for the captivity to the captivity. And I will assume, and I will appoint over them four kings, saith the Lord, the sword to slay, and the dogs to tear, and the fowls to heaven, the beasts to the earth, devour and destroy, and I will cause them to be removed into all kingdoms of the earth. Because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. For who shall have pity upon them, O Jerusalem? Or who shall bemoan thee? Or who shall go aside to ask how thou doest? Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord. Thou art gone backward. Therefore, will I stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. God's weary with repenting. He loves his people. And you can see it in this passage. God wants to deal with all people mercifully. He wants to deal with these people mercifully. But now I am weary. I am weary with, with repenting. I've, he's given the nation mercy in the past. And now they're right back to sinning in the present. And now I am we I am weary. I am weary with repenting. It's not like they didn't know his mercy. They knew his mercy. They knew his mercy. And it's like they look at God and say, I don't care. And God says, I am weary. I'm weary. I'm weary. I'm worn out. I'm weary with repenting. And I'm telling you, this lost and dying world can keep it up. They keep it up with the ingratitude. They keep it up with the blasphemous uh, terms and, and, the, and blaspheming the Lord's name. They keep it up in sinning and sinning and wickedness and wickedness. 
There's going to come a day when God's hand of wrath comes down and destroys. And once you're locked in hell, there's no getting out. You think lost people wear you out? Jesus Christ sent his son to die on the cross. How do you think that makes the Lord feel? He looks down at his nation, says, I am weary with repenting. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that you're doing and acting and saying, and but they are. Wicked, wicked nation. Imagine being Jeremiah. I will fan them with the fan and the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they return not from their ways. God is giving Jeremiah the answer to his prayer back in chapter 14. And the answer Jeremiah gets is judgment is coming. He acknowledges the sins of the nation and he includes himself in that acknowledgement. Matter of fact, he says back in chapter 14, we have sinned against thee. <laughs> He's including himself. It's his people. Can you imagine that answer coming back? I'm telling you, there's preachers all across this land and all across this world to go to a town or they go to a village or they go to a big city and it's the same thing that you would expect. Two or three people gathering, everybody else hates their guts. And you can't help but have a heart for that town. You can't help but have a heart for that village. You talk to any missionary that's abroad and you talk to them how they feel about those people, it'd about break your heart. Same thing happens here, same thing happens abroad. You drive around town, you see wickedness. You go visit a so-called church, you see wickedness. <laughs> I'm a Christian. We've got a lot of qualifying to do before, before we believe that. You know how it goes. But nonetheless, the Lord here is weary with repenting. Weary with repenting. All right, let's do uh, let's do one or two more. Second Samuel. Hope everybody's okay. Hope you're okay. Second Samuel. We'll get chapter six. Okay. All right. Second Samuel, chapter number six. It makes sense to start at the beginning of the chapter, so we're going to read some more Bible tonight. Uh, that's a time to say amen. Amen. Same. Again, that's the first word. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. So that's a lot of men. David arose and went with all the people that were with him from the Vale of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gebeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. 
And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. Now here it gets good. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand on the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Now, there's a lot of good preaching here. We can't get to tonight, but there's a lot of good preaching there. Uh, we'll save that for another time. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. It doesn't say the uh, okay. Uzzah put forth his hand uh, 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 to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And God has been waiting all these years to kill Uzzah. And because for years he knew what Uzzah was going to do, and for years his anger was growing hotter and hotter, and now it doesn't say any of that. It says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. God didn't have foreknowledge that Uzzah was going to touch the ark. God says right here, the anger of the Lord was kindled. When? When Uzzah did that. It wasn't thousands of years or millions of years or however many years you want to say, and God is kindling up his anger and it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. Okay, now, five, four, three, two, one. There he goes. Boom. I don't believe that's what God did. Uzzah made a decision that kindled uh, Kindled his anger. Kindled his anger. Show you one more thing. One more thing will be done. Go to Revelation 6. People say, well, if God doesn't know everything, how do you get to the book of Revelation? Well, because God knows he's righteous in all his ways. All his ways. He is holy in all of his works. All of his works. He knows he's righteous. He's holy in all of his works. His ways are everlasting ways. God knows all the things that he is going to do. And it says, um, Revelation is a prophetic book. But just for example, look at Revelation chapter number six. Who opens the seal? And I saw the lamb. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals. That's the Lord. That's the lamb. God knows what he's going to do. His ways are everlasting. Revelation chapters. Uh, look at the end of the verse. The beginning of the verse. The lamb opens the seals at the end of the verse for the great day of his wrath. Who's wrath? His wrath. God knows what he's going to do. God tells us what he is going to do. And he's powerful enough to make all the God is omnipotent. That's what we talked about that last uh, message. That's the only omniverse that we see. But 
for the day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? He's opening uh, the seals, and it's his wrath, and he's in control of all that. God is so powerful, we said this before, he is able he is able to limit his knowledge. It doesn't make him less powerful. It makes him more powerful. We talked about that thought on last message. All right. Last thing is uh, we have belief and we have knowledge. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That belief is constant. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved. You're sealed. You're sanctified. And all the other adjectives come along with your salvation. You can't lose it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's knowledge. We tend to flip-flop those two things. We want everybody... <laughs> we know a lot of Bible now. So we tend to think that, well, all these lost people, they need to know all this Bible. Lord, they get. No, they don't need all the knowledge. It doesn't say have all the knowledge about the Lord and then get saved. It says believe. They need to have a belief. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know what saved people do? We grow in knowledge. We're going to study the Bible and then we gain knowledge. And hopefully we know more now than we did when we first got saved. Praise God. And you know what? That's a daily thing. That's a weekly thing. That's a monthly thing. That's a yearly thing. We shouldn't be today. We shouldn't be the exact same place where we were a year ago. We should have grown spiritually thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of pilgrim baptist church we look forward to seeing you in the next episode in the meantime you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church